here this morning. We're still in the book of Philippians, and we've been walking through this all summer. Um, It's been really cool. If you haven't been reading Philippians, go back and read it again. Read it this week, beginning to end. Read the whole thing. Get a big picture of where he was going, what Paul was doing. And Paul was writing to this church in Philippi. And it's towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry. He was in a prison in Rome when he wrote this because he kept standing up for Jesus and what he believed. And this church that he knew about that he helped get started kept supporting him. And so he kept writing back to them and encouraging them on what they were, what was going on with them. So he provided for them some encouragement. He gave them some correction. There was inspiration as a part of this letter and a challenge. So I think today we get to a part where he's giving them this challenge of what they can do and how they can grow and what they need to do. And the challenge sometimes is not fun when you hear about it. When you hear somebody give you a challenge, it's not always the most encouraging thing. But yet we know that sometimes it's needed. So I heard about these guys. They were out on this boat. They were out on a ship. They were out on the ocean and they got stranded on a deserted island. There were six different guys. There were two of them that were Jewish. Two of them that were Catholic and two of them that were Baptists. So they all kind of got together and decided to start some churches. The two Jewish guys, they got together and they started a church and they called it the Temple Emmanuel. That was their church that they started. The two Catholic guys, they got together and they said, let's start a new church. And they started a church called the Church of the Holy Name. Well, the two Baptist guys got together. They couldn't agree. So they each started their own church and then they argued over which was the first Baptist church. Thank you very much. Some of you that have a Baptist background, you get it. And you see it around town, there's always the first one, right? You wonder where the second one's at. So it's, we, we get this way, don't we? You think, well, in the church, we're all Christians. We all study the same Bible. We all learn from this. We all want to follow it. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. We all treat each other with love. And therefore, we should all get along all the time. <laughs> you know that's not the case. And anybody that's ever been part of a family at all, um, you know that that's not the case. If you've ever worked at a job where there's other people working at that job, you know that's not the case. You know that we don't always get along with everybody around us. It just doesn't happen that way, even in the church. I love this this little poem. To dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. Am I right? You know this. You know this no matter where you're at. Sometimes it's just hard to get along. So we come up with ways that we try to fix things and to solve things, but sometimes it makes it even worse. And so you have to ask this question like these guys asked, right? Can't we all just get along? Why does a rock have to, you know, smash the scissors? And if you're thinking like me as well, and you have the thoughts, you know that it can be even more extensive than just three things. And we don't get our theology from Sheldon, but sometimes we can get some other things. Watch this. I'll tell you what, how about we go rock, paper, scissors? Ooh, I don't think so. No. Anecdotal evidence suggests that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, players familiar with each other will tie 75 to 80% of the time due to the limited number of outcomes. <laughs> I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. <laughs> what? It's very simple. Look, scissors cuts paper, paper covers rock. Rock crushes lizard, lizard poisons Spock. Spock smashes scissors, scissors decapitates lizard, lizard eats paper, paper disproves Spock, Spock vaporizes rock, and as it always has, rock crushes scissors. Lord forgive us for playing Big Bang Theory in church. All right, no theology lessons from Sheldon. We'll we'll bypass that. We'll learn something else from him and have fun with it. But here's what I know. Satan doesn't 
want us to get along. He loves it. He loves it when we have disagreements. Satan gets all excited when we disagree within the church, when we have relationship issues, when things aren't working well, and we disagree and we part ways and it's not well and it's not good. Satan loves that. And so Paul comes along and he writes this little letter to a church. And this is what he says. We're in chapter four. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. If you need one, there's one on the table on either side of the room. If you have your phones, get your phones out. Um, Get your Bible app open. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse two. He says it this way. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntec to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This one's a tough one. This one's tough because there's some things we don't know. And this is tricky when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to trying to understand Scripture. There's just some things we don't know. So what we try and do at times in Scripture is to read into it. Well, I think maybe it's this. I think maybe they're disagreeing about this. This might be why they're disagreeing. This might be the concept. And we can read so far into it that we get lost in what he's trying to teach us. So sometimes when you interpret passages, when you read your Bible, you have to say this. Here's what I don't know. And then you have to leave it at that. There are some things we just don't know when we're reading through a passage. This one, when we come to this one, for me, this is it. I just don't know some of the details. We don't know the details of their disagreement. We just don't know. We don't know why these two ladies were disagreeing and why he was asking for help. We just don't know. But if you're like me, I get like this as well. I I want to know some of those details, right? What did she say? What, what did she do? How come they're disagreeing? What's going on? Show me. Give me some juicy stuff. I want to hear what's happening. Why were these two ladies arguing? Was it theological? Was it big? Was it small? Was it, you know, opinionated? What was happening? Why were these two ladies not agreeing? Here's the thing. We don't know. And that might be a good thing for us because if we knew and Paul wrote about it, we might take it to an extreme in the church today, which we probably don't need to. So therefore, we don't know. Obviously, the details probably did matter to Paul, but not enough for him to get to his point. His point being, get along. Get along in the Lord. Let's do this. How can we agree together in the Lord? That's what we do know. So let's go to that question then. What, what do we know? What is it we know? We know that it was, it was not enough for him to write the details, but we know it was enough for him to write about. So something was going on between these two ladies within the church that he needed to say something about it. There was enough for Paul to write about. It was enough for him to ask for help from a guy by the name of Clement and the rest of the church to say, let's come around them, let's figure this out, and let's keep going. It was enough to write about. But I also know this. And I get this from this passage, but I get this from life. Living in peace with everyone is one of the hardest things we will ever do. Living in peace with everyone. Anyone. You know this. Living at peace with people is hard to do. And peace is not the absence of conflict. That's not what he's saying. And God doesn't promise that we'll go through life without conflict. No, we're going to have some conflict. What he's saying is let's seek peace. 
Peace is a byproduct of the commitment that we have to say we're going to keep working through this to agree in the Lord and keep going with the mission that we're on. But we know that people are involved. We know that during relationships it's tough. And we know that this is a struggle. In the early church, as well as today, whenever people are involved, this is a tough deal. But I get this as well. This is what I also learned and I know. In Acts chapter 15, there was a time where Paul and a guy by the name of Barnabas, they got to a point in their relationship where they didn't agree. Here, here was the situation. They were going back out on a journey. Paul was headed back out to visit some churches that he had started, to start some new churches, to spread the gospel. And he said to Barnabas, let's go. Now, Barnabas was known as an encourager. He was one that, you know, everybody liked to be around because he was encouraging to, to everybody. He, yes, Barnabas, let's go. Let's go on this journey. And Barnabas said, ah, this is great. I want to bring this, this guy, John Mark, with us. And Paul said, no. And he said, Yeah. No, let, let's take him. I think he would be a good help. And Paul said, no, I don't think he's trained enough. I don't think he's ready. I don't think we should take him. No, let's not take him. And Barnabas said, yeah, I really want to. And they got to a point in their relationship where they said, then we can't do this together. Now, they're still good guys. They're still committed Christians. Their mission was still the same to spread the gospel. They just didn't go to the same church anymore. Paul went one direction, Barnabas and John Mark went the other direction, and they still spread the gospel, and they still did good things in the Lord, and they still agreed in the Lord. They just didn't work together after that point. I do know this, though. In 2 Timothy, we also read that Paul, at some point in his ministry, said, hey, I need that guy. That guy, John Mark, that he didn't want to go on that one trip with, he called him back and said, hey, I'm at a point now. I could use your gifts. I could use your talents. You're good at this. Can you come and help me? Yeah, we can still work together at some level. And there might come a day when the church comes back together, right? But there's also times where we have to look at it and say, man, this is tough. This journey together is a tough deal. And sometimes we just don't always agree on everything. But how do we agree in the Lord? And how do we continue the mission of the church, even with different views of ministry? One thing he does is the next verse. Verse 4. He says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, I know you need to hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord. You know it's important when you have to say it twice, right? So he does. He says it. Here's the key. Here's what we need to do. He's bringing it back to Jesus. No matter what our opinions are and what happens within a church or how we function or what we do to remember that our connection is with Jesus, to keep spreading Jesus, to tell others about Jesus, even if we don't agree, hey, let's agree on Jesus and that be our goal. That's an important piece of what we're doing with this. This is what helps me. When I read this, when I try and understand this, when I get to verse four and I read this, there's times I don't want to do this, but this is what helps me. I look at this and I say, huh, this isn't a feeling. This is a decision that I have to make. I want you to think about it this way. When you get to verse four, chapter four of Philippians, this isn't a feeling. This is a choice that we're making. This is how I can get to this because there's times, I'm telling you, there's times I don't feel like being here. There's times I don't feel like getting along with everyone. There's times I don't feel like 
I want to rejoice in the Lord. There just isn't. But I know I need to, and I know I want to, so I consciously make that decision to rejoice in the Lord. And oftentimes that feeling will come and will follow. Now, I'm going to read on. And as we read on, I want you to remember this context that we're in. We're in the context of Paul writing to a church about people not getting along with each other. And he's saying, come on, let's, let's agree on the Lord. Let's rejoice in the Lord. So in the context of the story of relationships, I want to read on. But as I read on, a lot of these verses are going to be familiar to many of you. Some of you maybe not. Some of you might not have heard these. If you're new in your faith, if you're still growing in your faith, you're like, no, this stuff's new to me. I've never heard this before. But some of you, you've heard this for all of your life, but you've heard it pulled out, singled out. Let's think of this in terms of relationships. Let's read verse five. He says it this way. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know if that changes anything. But I've heard these verses before, pulled out and singled out and used to beat other people up. Have you ever, have you ever felt this before? People have said, hey, don't be anxious. About, it says in the Bible, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Says the person who's never had an anxiety attack before in their life, right? That's a tough one. And sometimes we, we can get to this point where we do, we pull this out and we point our fingers at people and says, it says, don't be anxious. And then the person who's dealing with anxiety says, yeah, easier said than done. How do you do that? So I want to look at the, these, these verses that we just read in a different context, in a different way than just by themselves. Let's look at them with this overarching theme, the theme of this. How do you act with other people involved? How do you get along with others? What about your relationships? So in the idea of relationships, this is what Paul is teaching us. One, be reasonable, he says. Be reasonable. Some people are good at this. Some people struggle through this one. And that's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Perspective from their point of view. And we often say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that, but we're keeping one foot in our shoe and then one foot in their shoes and saying, yeah, but see, you're trying to weigh both battles. No, get completely out of yourself. Take yourself completely, humble yourself, not hot-headedness, not overreacting, not prideful, completely remove yourself from it. Put yourself in somebody else's perspective and think about what's going on from their viewpoint. How do they see you? How are they seeing what you've said or how you reacted or what's going on? Can you put yourself completely in their shoes? Be reasonable about the situation and what's going on. And then he goes on and says this, don't be anxious about anything. In light of relationships, remember, he says it this way, the Lord is at hand. What if God was in the situation? What if he was standing in the room during this conversation that you're having with other people, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with people at church? What is going on here? The Lord is at hand. Now don't be anxious in those relationships. I had to really stop and think about my anxiety and when I go through times of being anxious and have high anxiety levels and I go through days and weeks and months feeling very anxious about stuff, how much of that is with stuff and how much of that comes from people? 
and relationships. And honestly, not much of it is about stuff. I really don't get that anxious about my home or my car, you know, my, my stuff. I get anxious about others. What are they going to think about my car or my home or my stuff? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to react? Am I going to disappoint other people by what I do or what I say or how I react? What's going to happen with this person? How am I going into this conversation? And that anxiety level comes up. And here's the tough part on this. I can't control what anybody else thinks. I can't control what anybody else says. I can't control what anybody else does. All I can do is react to that. And because of that, I get anxious about it. So then he says, finally, pray about it. He says, pray, ask God, be thankful. But I want you to hear what Paul is saying in this. Paul doesn't just point his finger and say, don't be anxious, pray. Because the person that's having an anxiety attack doesn't hear it that way and it doesn't work. And I'm so thankful Paul just doesn't say, pray about it and you'll feel better. I'm done. That's what I do. You should be able to do that too. He uses three different words when he talks about prayer in this. And the first one is prayer. And you know as well as I do that when you pray, which is really just communication with God, when I take time to stop and to have a conversation with God about what's going on in my heart and what's going on around me, it makes me feel better. It really does. We all can probably agree with that, that when I stop, take a deep breath, and talk to God about it, I do feel a little bit better. It's just communicating with God, but he also goes to the next point, and he talks about supplication. He talks about taking your request to God, and what I see in this, it's not just prayer and a conversation with God. It's a deep, passionate drive. It's a request to God to help fix this. And I go to Jesus with this one and look at the example that he gave on the, the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was arrested, the day before his, his trial, his beatings and his crucifixion. And he was in the garden and he was praying. He wasn't just praying. He was asking for help on this deal. And it was so intense that it says the sweat that was coming off of him had blood in it. He was, he was sweating blood. Seriously, I think he was anxious about what was getting ready to happen. I think there was some anxiety working in him. He was praying so hard, he was sweating blood. Don't you think that he was a little bit anxious about what was coming? Because he knew that it was going to hurt. It was going to hurt emotionally because his disciples, his followers, were going to deny him. It was going to hurt physically, and he knew what was to come. And if I knew that was coming, I'd be anxious too. Now, I don't think he sinned in his anxiety. I don't think he took his anxiety too far because he followed through with what his father was asking him to do. But I believe that he worked through some anxiety that night. And what did he do? He prayed about it passionately. And in the end, he gave thanks, which is the third thing Paul said in this. Then give thanks, appreciation, thanking God for all the things that he has done for us. And when I'm grateful... And when I'm thankful, my anxiety level comes down just a little bit. When Jesus healed the 10 lepers, one of them turned around and gave thanks to him. I would hope that the percentage is a little bit higher than that today, but oftentimes I wonder how, how, much, how much time do we spend thanking God for what he has given us and what he's done for us and what that would do to my anxiety if I continued to thank him often. So it's not just pray about it. It's pray this way and see if that would help. So he continues, and he says, pray about everything, even our relationships. So going into conversations, do you pray about the conversation? 
If there's confrontation coming, if there's something at work, if there's something in the church or in your family, are you praying about that? And are you praying the right way? And you can't go into it praying for that other person. You know, God, pray, I'm praying for them that you change their heart, that you help them see it from my perspective, that you help them change, that you help them grow, that you Many of you have probably been prayed at before. It's not fun to be prayed at, where somebody's praying at you, right? But are they praying for you, and are they praying for the situation, and are they praying for themselves? And that's what you need to do. Pray for you in this. How am I going to react? Am I going to be reasonable? Am I going to approach this properly? And is God going to protect my heart and my mind in this? And it says it. If we do this, he'll protect our hearts and our minds with his peace. The peace of God will protect our hearts and minds. Protect us how? I believe he'll protect us because there'll be peace in our hearts, which is an antidote to anxiety. If, we, if we're anxious about something, the best thing for me when I'm anxious is peace. When I have peace in my heart, when I know the peace of God is calming those things, man, it's easier to go about it. So this word anxious in this passage in Philippians, um, it, it's a word, it's a, it comes from the root word that means to be pulled apart or to be pulled in different directions. And you feel this way. I believe it. When, when I'm anxious, I feel this. My whole heart, my hopes, my dreams go one way. My head and my fears go another way. And when I'm afraid and I'm hopeful at the same time, it just pulls me in all kinds of different directions. And when you get pulled in different directions, it's hard to make decisions it's hard to come to conclusions. It's hard to have an understanding because my hopes and dreams are going here. My fears and my thoughts are going a different direction. And I start to worry. And when I start to worry about things, I feel, and we get this, or the root word that we get from the word worry is the word strangle. It comes from the same root word together, strangle and worry. And when I'm feeling this way, pulled apart in different directions, it feels like I'm being strangled in my soul and my heart and my mind. And I just, it's hard to make decisions then and you just get flustered and it starts to affect all kinds of stuff like headaches and neck pains and ulcers and back pains, right? You've been there, or thinking, our digestive system, even our coordination can be thrown off when we're stressed and we're anxious. Now, God doesn't say he'll fix everything. Doesn't say he'll fix everybody else to think like me, to help me be easier and to make a plan, but he does say I'll guard your heart and, our goal, and our guard, he will guard our minds to be reasonable from being mean to others from saying things that I'm going to regret later. He'll guard my heart and my mind from speaking up when I shouldn't, from gossiping, for saying negative things when they're not true. He'll guard my heart and my mind in those things. Now, here's the deal. I, I want you to hear this, really. I'm not a therapist. I'm not licensed in this. My goal is not to fix you today if you're walking through any type of anxiety. But if you are and you're not seeking help, go get some professional help. Seek somebody out that can really help you and get you through it. It's important for you to do. If you are seeking that help, continue. If you're taking some medication, hey, stay on it until you can work through it. Let that help you get through that. Please continue seeking that and listen to wise counsel. 
listen to people, but don't just listen to them, put things into action, because I think that's what's going to help you the most is when you put it into action. And this is what he teaches us in. Here's the action steps for us. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, the actions, right? The evidence of these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Put some things into action. Do something with your anxiety. Let's, what is it? In the context of our relationships, then look at this list. What is true? If you're in a relationship with somebody, somebody thinks something about you, maybe they've said something about you, you have to step back and say, is that even true? If it's not true about you, then don't listen to it. Then move on. Is it true? Is it honorable and just? The way they're treating you or the way this relationship is going, is that an honorable relationship? Is it just? If not, let's, let's fix that. If it, if it is, then listen to that. Put, put some of that into action. Is it pure and lovely and commendable and excellent? Is it praiseworthy? God is with us. Would God be pleased with how this conversation's going, with how we're treating each other, with what's happening within this context? And then he says, think about these things. Put these things in your head because wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings. And oftentimes we base our decisions and what we do off of our feelings, right? And if we're thinking wrong, our feelings are going to be wrong. If our feelings are wrong, our decisions might not have the best outcome because we're going to feel strangled and pulled apart in all kinds of different directions. And so he goes back to our thinking. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about this, that we have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It begins with our thoughts. You sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. If you reap a character, or you sow a character, you reap a destiny. But it begins with how we think. So Paul spells it out in detail, these things we need to think about as Christians. What are the things we need to think about? What's true? If it's not true, get it out of your head. Is it honorable and just? If not, move on from it. Is it pure and lovely and commendable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Put those things in your head and the peace will come. It involves our minds, our thoughts. Even if you can't see them, even if you can't weigh them, even if they don't feel real like you can touch them, they're powerful. Our thoughts are so powerful and our thoughts can lead us to unrest or discouragement. Our thoughts can lead us into sin if we're not careful. Our sin can lead us to even more stress and worry, which can also become a sin because it's not peace with God. So I want to do this with us this morning. This lesson that we learned from Paul, we walked through this passage. I want to close with this idea. Let's walk it backwards. Okay, let's Let's see where we can go. He started with some correction, some challenge. Hey, get along. And then he walked us through something. What if we turn that around and we walked it backwards to see how we can get along? Okay, this is going to be on the screen. I want you to see this. It's going to be up there all at once. But let's start with our thoughts. 
Are your thoughts positive? Are they pure? Are they true? Are they holy? Are they just? Because our thoughts begin this process. And those positive thoughts will help us to pray. When we're thinking positively, our prayers come out with passion and with thankfulness. We can be thankful for God and what he's done when we pray because our thoughts are positive. What does that bring when we're thankful to God? Some peace. I have a little bit more peace in my heart because I've been thankful to God. You know what happens when I have peace with God? I become a little bit more reasonable. I understand things a little bit different. I have more reason when I'm discussing things with others. When I'm reasonable with others, guess what? It's easier to rejoice. And if I can rejoice, again, we should say it again, right? Rejoice in the Lord. This is important. Guess what happens to my relationships? They're a little bit better. I get along with people a little bit better because I'm rejoicing in God because all these other things are adding up. And you know what the result of me getting along with others is? Yeah, a positive witness. Then others can see Christ in me and in my relationships and how I'm trusting in him. And that's the key. And that's our mission as a believer in Christ is to be a witness to others so that they can see what Christ has done for them. And as we work through this and understand what Paul was writing, why it's important for us to do this and to get along so that others can see Christ in us. So I want to close this morning this way, at least this is my time. I want to pray for you. And if, you've, if you're... Uh, yeah, if you're there, you're like, anxious, anxiety... Yeah, I've been walking that. I don't even know how to get out of it. Man, this is for you. I just want to pray for you. If your anxiety level is so high, you're like, yeah, physically, I'm messed up right now. How do we bring some of that anxiety down to trust in him? I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for today. That we can take some lessons that Paul wrote many years ago from a prison cell, add it up for our hearts this morning. Learn maybe why I'm feeling so anxious and why my anxiety is through the roof. And then how to overcome some of that, how to get the help around it, how to listen to your word, how to be reasonable, how to trust, and how to be a positive witness to those around. God, I do. I pray for the people in this room that have gone through some difficult times in relationships and seen that their anxiety is where it's at today. To know that it's not as easy as just saying, hey, don't be anxious and pray. But God, that you teach us how to pray the right way so that our anxiety levels can come down so that we can trust in you more and grow. God, I pray for those people that are walking through it right now, that you give them that peace that will guard their hearts and their minds, their actions to trust in what is true and honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is praiseworthy. 
And we give all that praise to you. That's in your name we pray. Amen. If you guys would, let's, let's get ready for a time of communion. If you would, stand um, together and let's sing. And let some of that peace just come over you this morning.